Hello and welcome to Vandenberg Flash Focus, your source for fast and focused foreign policy analysis on breaking news around the world. I'm your host, Samuel Byers, here today with Rich Goldberg, a senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and a Vandenberg Coalition Advisory Board member. Today, we're discussing President Biden's trip to Israel yesterday, the IDF's ongoing campaign against Hamas, and the still unfolding ramifications of Hamas's brutal attack on Israel almost two weeks ago. Rich, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Rich, for those who have only been following the headlines on their Twitter feed, can you give us a quick update on the developments you've been looking at and following in Israel over the past week and a half? Yeah, obviously, our hearts continue to break uh, for the massacre that occurred uh, a week and a half ago uh, at this point. And, you know, we continue to reflect on uh, the victims and the stories that come out uh, of just uh, just horrific things that we keep hearing. Uh, but as we keep that in mind and remember what has happened and, and why we are in this place in this moment, uh, facing a really brutal, evil terrorist uh, infrastructure, but also the sponsors behind that infrastructure, particularly Iran. Uh, we're watching the various fronts uh, as the Israeli Defense Forces continues uh, to root out uh, the terror infrastructure, specifically by Hamas, but also prepare for potential conflict on another front with another Iranian terror sponsor in Hezbollah. So we've been seeing a pretty steady uh, airstrike campaign by the Israeli Air Force, targeted strikes, uh, searching for various uh, command and control nodes, uh, political and uh, terror leadership of Hamas, uh, no distinction being made anymore. In past years, we've thought about a political bureau and a military wing that Hamas claims to have. Obviously, our laws, we designate Hamas in its entirety as a terrorist organization, but they view themselves or claim to have two separate parts. And in the past, the Israelis have actually honored that distinction to still have a dialogue with this supposed political side. That's off the table now. We're seeing political leaders, quote unquote, uh, being targeted as well. Uh, at the same time, obviously, we see the U.S. Uh, pushing for humanitarian corridor. There are issues there that, that I'm sure we can talk about. And then the north, uh, the northern front is not quiet. Uh, it is uh, very active. There is constant uh, anti-tank guided missiles coming across the border, rocket fire coming across the border from Hezbollah. There have been attempted infiltrations from Lebanon. We've seen Iranian movements attempted in Syria towards the Israeli border, and the Israeli Air Force is responding there uh, with, at this point, we would call it proportional responses, uh, targeting various Hezbollah sites when they are attacked. Uh, it is still relatively low scale not the kind of massive front opening up that a lot of people are uh, afraid could happen in the coming days. And we're watching the broader intel picture still. What is Iran doing? What is their role here? Pushing their proxies uh, to continue the fight, pushing Hezbollah potentially into the fight. Uh, what might happen in the West Bank? We saw some protests erupting, violence uh, starting to spark up uh, that night of the false reports about a hospital being struck, ended up, it was the parking lot you know, and it was struck by Islamic Jihad rockets, not by Israel. But, you know, that becoming suddenly a pretext for people to come out into the streets in the West Bank, uh, in Jordan, in Lebanon. Uh, so so really a combustible situation, clearly with somebody orchestrating this, a much broader campaign from above, obviously the Iranians. Uh, a lot of talk about the cell that Iran runs in Beirut, where they coordinate Hezbollah, Hamas, and Islamic Jihad together. 
And last but not least, also watching the possibility that there could be incitement to violence within Arab-Israeli communities. We saw this for the first time back in 2021 uh, when there was a, a, a string of uh, violent actions uh, incited by either ISIS, Hamas, Iran. It was never quite clear who was behind these attacks uh, and, and what has truly been for decades very peaceful living between Arabs and Jews within Israel. Uh, and already a lot of chatter, some some memes going around, could be disinformation or could be the start of something else that are, that Israel is going to have to worry about within, not just externally. Excellent. And that brings us up to uh, yesterday when President Biden made uh, a surprise visit to Israel, where he met with Prime Minister Netanyahu and other senior Israeli officials. Uh, from a policy perspective, did you see anything interesting coming out of Biden's trip, uh, you know, on the back end? Or was this mostly him there to offer moral support, diplomatic support to our ally? Yeah, I, th I think the most interesting thing is that Joe Biden went to Israel uh, at a moment when we all sort of expected an invasion to start, delaying that invasion. And, and we've since seen uh, Prime Minister Sunak uh, come from Great Britain and there's talk of Macron coming. And so it's you know this parade of foreign leaders offering support, but also speaking to the Arab world at the same time and talking about the need for humanitarian relief for the Palestinians, uh, the idea that they're there to project some sort of deterrence so that the northern front doesn't open up, but at the same time refuse to even name Iran as a culprit in all of this. Uh, while the UN missile embargo expired the same day President Biden was in Israel, and obviously that's a policy choice since the US, UK, France, Germany could, could stop that at any time uh, by triggering the snapback of UN sanctions. So it is a very mixed picture. Um, heartfelt emotional statements by the president which is great uh, in general, taking Israel's side and, and showing support for our ally, very good. Uh, military support on its way being pledged in the form of Iron Dome and other weapons uh, to come, uh, but still a mixed policy uh, being projected towards the Iranians pulling the string. Uh, and also very concerning, uh, a real green light to the Qataris, another sponsor of Hamas we don't talk about as much, uh, to have a hostage negotiation channel open which I think is also undermining the Israelis, uh, potentially delaying more military action as we give power to the Qataris and Hamas to run the show here, make offers, uh, discuss ways for possible hostage negotiations, exchanges, et cetera. So a lot of worrying signs here. Obviously, we also have seen in the last uh, a few hours uh, increased attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, drone attacks from Iran-backed militias uh, against U.S. bases. No military response yet from the United States. So uh, I think we're seeing Iran testing the fences in every single way. You know, it's it's great that the president says I'm sending a second carrier strike group. Uh, we're here to deter, to, you know, whoever you are, don't, 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 as the president says, don't, don't get involved in this conflict, don't escalate. Uh, but Iran already testing to see if that's a paper tiger talking. Uh, are these just moving ships around to look tough? Uh, or is the president actually trying to restore deterrence? So last episode, we mentioned the connection between Hamas, Hezbollah, other terrorist groups and Iran. And Rich, I know you've been a consistent critic of the Biden administration's approach to the Islamic Republic. Can you fill in a bit more of the strategic picture here for our listeners? How does Iran fit into this picture? 
How is our uh, Iran policy and our Middle uh, Middle East policy related? You mentioned the missile embargo um, expiring at, on the same day as uh, President Biden's trip. Uh, other similar, um, you know, diplomatic actions between us and Iran and uh, and other actors in the region. Just fill in a little of the strategic picture for us. Yeah, really important to zoom out and the question of why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Is something that everybody keeps asking. And yes, Hamas doesn't need a reason to hate Israel and try to destroy Israel and kill Jews. That's their that's their entire mo. That's why they were founded. It's in their charter. Uh, and and yes, uh, Iran says death to America, death to Israel. It doesn't need some some excuse any moment to continue trying to kill us. That's what they do. We just we just refuse to recognize that sometimes. But this is a moment where we have started to breathe oxygen back into that entire Iran threat matrix. Uh, and what I mean by that is, rather than applying pressure and trying to squeeze resources from the regime, rather than making sure the regime fears a credible uh, U.S. military threat if they were to cross any nuclear threshold or terrorism thresholds, uh, they see a very different posture from the United States going back, obviously, throughout the two and a half year period of the administration pursuing a return to some sort of nuclear deal. But especially in the last few months, uh, starting in May, uh, offers to start opening up cash just to uh, get the Iranians not to enrich to 90 percent weapons grade uranium. And we saw all summer $10 billion move out of bank accounts uh, in, Iran, in Iraq to Oman for Iran's use. We don't talk about that 10 billion today. We should, we don't know what's happened to that 10 billion. There's $6 billion we do talk about that was attached to that hostage deal moved from South Korea to Qatar. We've seen a surge, billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of oil revenue, uh, allowing uh, Iran to export hundreds of thousands of barrels per day more uh, to China. Uh, and clearly a nod to China to, to, to allow that to happen. Uh, there's possibilities of talks at the IMF as well. It, the, you we mentioned the missile embargo, allowing that to expire, showing fear and weakness that we're not willing to trigger the snapback of UN sanctions because we're afraid of what Iran might do in response. The Iranians see all of that and they say, okay, great, the Americans are off the board. We have deterred the United States of America. We're now in a protection racket with, with the US. They had already cut a similar deal with the Saudis earlier in the year that, that China had brokered. The Saudis sort of say, hey, you know, we'd love to keep, you know, meddling in Iran and, and, and trying to deter the Iranians, our mortal enemy. But we keep getting missiles raining down from Yemen, from the Iran-backed Houthis. Uh, and America is nowhere to be found to help us. I'm, you know, MBS is supposed to be a pariah. Missile defense has been pulled out. So they cut a deal. Well, now the Saudis are off the board. So who's the only country left in the world? that is taking the fight to Iran, inside Iran, sabotage attempts, uh, assassinations, things blowing up, drone attacks that you've seen in the last year or two. It's Israel. It's Israel. And so Israel has been trying to shift this paradigm to focus on the head of the octopus rather than on the tentacles of the border to try to push Iran back on its heels. But Iran now getting all the cash infusion, seeing strategically they are freed up by the United States and Saudi Arabia, can focus all their energy, resources, and attention on what they call the ring of fire, the terrorist groups they have built to surround Israel and start really uh, uh, ramping up their escalation there uh, to bleed Israel out, put Israel back on its heels, not allow them to meddle inside Iran's borders, and who knows what they want to do next on the nuclear program as a result. So that is the context of what's happening here. And when we try to disconnect our Iran policy from a Hamas policy or a Hezbollah policy, 
we run into a complete strategic failure because you can't be saying I'm against the subsidiary, but I'm going to pour mon more money into the parent company. That doesn't work. It doesn't even make sense. You have to be applying pressure to both places at once and certainly never take your focus off the head of the octopus in Tehran. Bringing us uh, back down from the strategic level, uh, you know, to the situation on the ground, uh, Hamas currently holds about uh, 200 hostages in Gaza who were captured during the terrorist attack uh, into Israel on October 7th. And that includes about 17, uh, at least 17 U.S. citizens. And both of those estimates continue to be revised upwards as more information becomes available. Uh, what should the United States be doing to ensure American hostages are returned home safely, along with Israelis, along with the uh, citizens of our other allies. Listen, uh, my heart breaks uh, for every parent, uh, sibling, child, any family or friend of anybody who is in captivity at the moment. Uh, you know, I, as I thought over over the past weekend, um, as we were heading into a weekend here, um, you know, in relative calm in the United States. There were a lot of people heading into a weekend of hell, a hell that they can't escape from. And so what I'm going to say is not easy. And there's a lot of emotion involved. Uh, and and I, it, it's difficult to separate the human emotion of hostages and hostage taking from national security policy and, and what makes for good national security policy, and what makes for bad national security policy and how you achieve your objective of freeing those hostages while they are alive as quickly as possible. Uh, and I would say. This is, you know, the number one leverage point that Hamas has, that Iran has, that its allies have over the United States, over Israel. It, I think it has a big part to do with the delay in the military operations you're seeing. Uh, but in the end, the question is, how do you approach a situation like this? Do you engage in negotiations with terrorists? Do you, on the one hand, say this is a group that is worse than ISIS and they must be completely destroyed? But hey, let me take your phone call. Let's talk about it because I'd really love to give you some money or some prisoners or whatever else. And we're not going to attack you. We're not actually going to wipe you out so long as you give up our hostages. Th those are antithetical concepts to hold uh, in your head from a strategic level, from a national security perspective. And so I would argue that our hostage uh, negotiation approach as, as a country has been broken for a long time. Uh, I've said this in the wake of Gershkovich's uh, hostage taking. If there's another journalist that's just been taken uh, by the Russian, we have zero deterrence in effect to stop hostage taking of American citizens and others. Obviously, our European friends have been paying ransoms for many years, and it undermines everyone when they do that. And, you, and we try to stop it, but we can't always stop it. Uh, but we can control what our policy is. And to me, if there is a sponsor of Hamas, that has leverage over Hamas or of Hamas leaders who are not in Gaza and can be put to a choice so that they face tough consequences if they do not get our hostages out unconditionally, immediately, within 48 hours or whatever deadline you want to give, then the following things are going to happen. That's the approach we need that we're not getting. So what does that mean? If, if I were in charge, I would say, and by the way, the Congress can just push this forward tomorrow if they want to. Uh, I would say to Qatar, that's hosting the leader of Hamas, Ismail Haniyeh in Doha, that hosted a summit between Ismail Haniyeh and the Iranian foreign minister over the weekend so that they could coordinate how they were going to undermine us and hurt us and hold our hostages right under our nose. Outrageous. 
This is a country where we have a major air base, Combined Air Operations Center, the CAOC. This is a country that is a major non-NATO ally of ours designated by the executive branch. This is a country that enjoys a lot of prestige in the United States that can be taken away in a second. Investments, uh, endowments at universities, think tank investments, all kinds of stuff. Qatar Airways, their soccer brand, all this stuff. Now, I don't want to let Turkey off the hook here. They're also an ally of Hamas. They also have a Hamas office. And so a lot of the things I'm going to say apply to Turkey as well. But Qatar has much more to lose. Qatar's, Qatar, Qatar can be deterred. And if you say to them, you have 48 hours. And if you don't get all our hostages out in 48 hours, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. You're going to be a designated state sponsor of terrorism. We're going to start the process of moving our base from IUD to UAE or any other country that'll take us. And I bet the UAE would take us. Uh, we're going to close our airspace to Qatar Airways. We're going to freeze all assets of yours in the United States. Like they are holding Americans. And Qatar is hosting the people who took them. So I have no qualms squeezing them like crazy right now. I think it's outrageous that instead of doing that, we're saying, hey, can you help us? We'd love it. Oh, we so value your channel with Hamas, right? That's working against us. It undermines Israel's military posture. It actually undermines the hostages' uh, chances of getting home safely. And secondarily, you know what else we should be doing? Whether it's the Israelis doing this or us doing it or the, or the Brits are doing it all together because all of our citizens are taken hostage right now. Any member of Hamas, any leader of Hamas that is in Doha or in Turkey, in Ankara, is fair game. That is a legitimate military target in my view. And we have an air base in Qatar and just try to stop us. Just try to stop us. And if Ismail Haniyeh wants to live another day, if Anun wants to live, if these people want to actually survive the next 72 hours, you get all of our hostages out immediately. And maybe we'll think about sparing your life. Final question. Uh, is there anything else the United States needs to do to support Israel in its campaign to neutralize the threat from Hamas? Well, I think we're going to be potentially in for a, a longer term uh, operation. Uh, it is going to get harder before it gets easier. Uh, and, and look what just happened here. Uh, you know, Hamas just claims that Israel has a missile strike that kills 500 people at a hospital. Just claims it. Nobody verifies it. Nobody checks. Just takes the terrorist organization's word for it. The whole Middle East lights up on fire. Everybody's condemning Israel. Media outlets, opinion leaders, influencers all coming out now. It's like, you know, when 1,500 Jews get slaughtered, I'm not, you know, my social pressure right now, I can't criticize Israel, but I really want to. Oh, they, they hit the hospital. Now I can finally criticize Israel. So a lot of people were exposed for who they really are. I'll, tell you, I'll say that. But it's important to know who they were and document it. And as this goes forward, understand that those people are going to be the ones that are trying to apply pressure, cut off military support for Israel, don't allow Israel to defend itself. Uh, all of that needs to be completely thrown out the window and focus on what matters. A democracy under attack that just had its own 9-11. 9-11 on steroids on an Israeli level, and the legitimacy, the justice, the lawfulness of an operation to uproot that terror infrastructure and potentially other parts of Iran's terror infrastructure as well. So provide Israel all the things it needs to defend itself, all the things it needs to go on offense against that terrorism, 
and support Israel in delivering a credible military threat to the sponsor in Tehran. Rich Goldberg, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of Flash Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Flash Focus is a production of the Vandenberg Coalition. To connect and stay up to date on our work, follow our account on X, at Vandenberg Co., or visit www.vandenbergcoalition.org to learn more and subscribe to our weekly newsletter on foreign policy and national security, Beyond the Water's Edge. Until next time, I'm Samuel Byers, and this is Vandenberg Flash Focus.